the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to today's podcast, sponsored by Hillsdale College. All things Hillsdale at Hillsdale.edu. I encourage you to take advantage of the many free online courses there. And, of course, to listen to the Hillsdale Dialogues, all of them at Q for Hillsdale.com, or just Google Apple, iTunes, and Hillsdale. Hi, Canada. I'm Hugh Hewitt, live inside the ReliefFactor.com studio. Former President Donald Trump won the New Hampshire primary handily last night, 54.5%. Nikki Haley had 43.2%. Former President Trump got 11 delegates. Nikki Haley got eight delegates. And onward they go. The next contest is Saturday, February the 24th in South Carolina. There's some stuff going on in Nevada, but it's all screwed up. They've got a primary and a caucus and some mess, so it doesn't really count. But right now, Donald Trump is is far ahead of Nikki Haley in South Carolina. And if I were king of the forest, not queen, not duke, not earl, I'd tell Nikki Haley to start saying to everyone, I'm going straight to the Middle West. We got 16 states voting on Super Tuesday, and that will be the decision. But she's fighting on, and she's going to fight on in South Carolina. Uh, Apparently on the old logic that you can't lose your home state. That's actually not true anymore. You can't lose your home state. But... Let's start with the former president's victory speech last night, cut number one. Well, I want to thank everybody. This is a fantastic state. This is a great, great state. You know, we won New Hampshire three times now, three. three. We win it every time. We win the primary. We win the generals. We've won it. And it's a very, very special place to me. It's very important. If you remember in 2016, we came here and we needed that win, and we won by 21 points, and it was great. And uh, today, I have to tell you, it was very interesting because I said, wow, what a great victory. But then somebody ran up to the stage all dressed up nicely <laughs> when it was at 7. But now I just walked up and it's at 14. But, but she ran up when it was 7. And, you know, we have to do what's good for our party. And she was up and I said, wow, she's doing uh, like a speech like she won. She didn't win. She lost. And, you know, last last week we had a little bit of a problem. And if you remember, Ron was very upset because she ran up and she pretended she won Iowa. And I looked around. I said, didn't she come in third? Yeah, she came in third. And then I looked at the polls. She was talking about most winnability, who's going to win. And I had one put up. I don't know if you see it, but I have one put up. We've won almost every single poll in the last three months against crooked Joe Biden. Almost every poll. And she doesn't win those polls. You want to go through the uh, crosstabs on gender. Donald Trump won uh, 50 percent of men and 50 percent of women. On race, Donald Trump won 54% of white voters and 59% of non-white voters. On age, Trump won 60% of voters between 18 and 29, 
56% of voters 30 to 44, 55% of voters 45 to 64, and 51% of the senior citizens, 65 and older. Education, some college or less, 66% Donald Trump. College graduates, Nikki Haley won 56%. One of the few demos that she won. Nikki Haley also won people who make $100,000 or more. Donald Trump crushed it for people who are making under sixty, under $50,000. He got 60%. Uh, Donald Trump won 74% of the Republicans. Nikki Haley won 60% of the independents. And the ideology, very conservative. Donald Trump won 88% of people who are very conservative. Moderate liberal, Nikki Haley won 75% of those. White evangelical Christian self-identified, 70% for Trump, 52% all others, uh, people who go to church. And when did you decide? Within the last month, 32%. Before this month, 70%. The New Hampshire electorate was pretty solid already. And uh, it's not over. Nikki Haley went on to talk about how she's going to keep on keeping on, cut number five. What a great night. God is so good all the time. Thank you, New Hampshire, for the love, the kindness, the support, and a great night here tonight. Thank you so much. I want to first say thank you to my husband, who I know is watching right now. I love you. We're excited to have you. Thank you. I want to thank my kids who are here, Rita and Naylan and Josh, who have really kind of stepped up and um, just given me the support I need. You know, you, you really pull on your family when something like this happens, and um, I am incredibly blessed by their support. I have my parents at home, and I will always say that the way they raised me to know that we lived in the best country in the world, but to also know that the best way you appreciate your blessings is to give back. Thank you, Mom and Dad. I love you so much. To my siblings, to my in-laws, um, to everybody back at home, to Vicki for helping me take care of mom and dad. Thank you for that. You know, I will tell you, it has been, it feels like it's been a lifetime, but it has been almost a year that we've been campaigning in New Hampshire, touching every hand, um, answering every question, being the last person to leave. And we had um, the most amazing thing happen is the second that we got the endorsement from Governor Chris Sununu. I mean, a true governor that doesn't stand behind a podium. He shows up at a diner. He shows up at the brewery. He loves the people of New Hampshire. He has been with me every single day at every single event. Chris, I couldn't have done it without you. And I want to thank someone who was with me on day one. He's a patriot. He's a hardcore conservative. And he is my friend, General Don Baldick and Sharon. Thank you so, so much. 
congratulate Donald Trump on his victory tonight. He earned it, and I want to acknowledge that. Now, you've all heard the chatter among the political class. They're falling all over themselves, saying this race is over. Well, I have news for all of them. New Hampshire is first in the nation. It is not the last in the nation. This race is far from over. There are dozens of states left to go. And so that is where I put the question to you. 1-800-520-1234. Do you want Governor Ambassador Haley to continue on? The next major contest is South Carolina. It's five weeks away. It is February 24th. It's a month away, but it's on a Saturday in South Carolina. She's pretty far behind, though we haven't had any recent polls out of that. That is Trump country. General McMaster, Governor McMaster, who is the governor of South Carolina, is big Trump guy. And I think most of the elected statewide officials are big Trump people, even though Ambassador Haley is a very successful governor from South Carolina. I'm not sure um, she invests a lot of resources in that, but I do think she goes to Super Tuesday and tries to win a couple there. you got to win sometime. you got to win by Super Tuesday. you got to win Michigan or Ohio or somewhere. And now she has a month of one-on-one and a very respectable showing. 44% is respectable. But my phones are open, 1-800-520-1234. Should she get out or should she stay in? Do you want her to stay in? Now, there are some people in Team Trump that want her out. They want to name a vice president. They want to get moving. They want to carry the race to Biden. There are other people that want to expand the the list of Republicans who are active and identify them as Nikki Haley voters and bank them for the fall to turn them out if it's Trump. There are a lot of different points of view on this. I'm interested in yours. 1-800-520-1234. I've also got a lot of reaction. The talking heads were so sad last night. The race was over at at 5 p.m. on the West Coast, 8 p.m., and they had to fill three hours of time. That's very difficult to do when it's over, and you're just going to talk. I'll bet you the ratings were horrible because it was over at 8 o'clock. But we'll, we'll talk to you now. Do you want her in? Do you want her out? What's your thought? Donald Trump winning handily, 54.5% of the vote. Nikki Haley, 43.2. 11 delegates for the former president, 8 delegates for Nikki Haley. 48 states to go. What do you think? I'm Senator Marsha Blackburn, Republican from Tennessee, joins me. Good morning, Senator. Welcome back. It's always good to talk to you. Well, it is always good to talk with you. Thank you so much for having me. So Donald Trump won last night by 11 percentage points. Uh, Do you think Nikki Haley should get out or do you expect her to stay in through Super Tuesday or beyond? You know, Q, there is no path forward. And I, for her, and I think it is time for Nikki Haley to lead this race and the party to unify behind President Donald Trump. He is going to be the nominee. You can look at the polling in every state going forward. He is going to be the nominee. We need to unify behind him. We need to focus on winning the Senate and House seats that are going to be necessary for him to have a majority to support his agenda. I think the party has 
spoken. You see it. It is time for Nikki Haley to leave the race. It is time for the party to unify and focus on defeating Joe Biden and the Democrats. Now, she does not sound like someone who's leaving the race. I just read a David Drucker piece in The Examiner that says she, in fact, intends to bait Trump for the next month and into Super Tuesday and begin to pick up momentum as he falters. What's your response to that? The the people have spoken. Look at the polling. Uh, look at the interviews that are out there. And you, there is not a path forward. I'm a big believer in primaries. I think it's wonderful that there are so many qualified Republicans that are out there. I think it's great that we have a big tent. And when you look at the polling and you see how people are coming back to President Trump, you look at the independents, you look at the moderate Democrats that are there in the polling, whatever state, just go pick a state. And they remember the job of President Donald Trump. And because of that, they are moving back to him. He was so focused on the border, securing the border, making certain that we knew who was coming in this country, fighting illegal immigration. And the American people are watching what is happening at the border. And they see thousands of people that are coming into this country. We do not know who they are. We do not know where they are coming from. Uh, We do not know the reason they are coming. People know that we have had 80 terrorists since the beginning of this fiscal year that have been apprehended at the border. They know there are thousands of people from countries of interest. We've had 24,000 Chinese at the southern border in the last year alone. And people are saying someone has to get control of this and that someone is President Donald Trump. All right. Now, uh, Senator, that's clear. I've got your position. Now I know you're on judiciary. I'd like to turn to the immigration negotiations. Everything that I can learn, and it's not much because Senator Lankford, Senator Tillis are being pretty closed mouthed, Leader McConnell. It sounds like a disaster to me. It sounds like we're going to drive the car over the cliff for the third time. I've been doing this show since 2000. This will be the fourth immigration comprehensive proposal put forward. It'll be the fourth one that fails in the House because it doesn't have a wall in it. Now, am I wrong? Is there a wall in it? There is not that border security provision that we all want to see and that Customs and Border Patrol has told us for three decades that they need. They need a physical barrier where they cannot have a barrier. They need better technology and they need more agents and officers on the ground so that they can do their job. And to have provisions that deal with asylum, deal with parole, of course those need to be dealt with. But then to have a speedier way for processing and for giving uh, work permits, no. We are not going to vote, and I am not going to vote, for anything that makes illegal immigration legal. And that is what this administration continues to try to do. They are trying to weaken our immigration requirements. So Joe Biden could handle this today. He could secure that southern border. He could 
eliminate the ability to come here and claim asylum. He could do remain in Mexico. He could not parole people into the country. And these are things that if they wanted to secure that border, they could do this. But, Hugh, an open border is their that is their policy. You know, Senator, I don't know if you ever saw the movie Rat Race. It's one of my favorite movies. Have you ever seen it? I have not. Well, Kathy Bates plays a person that says is selling squirrels. And she says, go this way. And this way leads people right over the edge of a cliff. We're going over a cliff. And I do not understand why. Can you tell me what is going on inside of the conference? Because if there is not 900 miles of wall fully appropriated and authorized, notwithstanding any other law, it's a loser and it will not. And I'm a I'm an immigration moderate. I'm for regularizing these folks. I don't want them to vote in elections, but I'm for regularizing most of the 20 million people in the country. But I do not believe we should go forward without a wall. And if there's no wall in this, I'm again it. And I think most of the party is going to be again it. What is wrong with the conference? And that is what I hear from people. I did a telephone town hall <laughs> last night with uh, people that live in Middle Tennessee. And Hugh, the majority of the questions that came in dealt with immigration. People are going, why is it that they are getting special rights and privileges? I had one guy who was talking about the work that he does, and he travels in and out of Tucson. And he said one flight he was on, there were 36 people that had illegally crossed the border. And he said, you know, you can spot them. They've all got their envelopes. They all process through a different TSA line because they don't have IDs, and they are put on planes. And so um, he, he was talking about... What he was seeing, and he was reciting all of this and telling people that were on the town hall. So, so, so Senator, I want to. We're winning. This issue is our issue. We want a wall. The Republicans are going to win. Why are your colleagues going to give away the issue? I I do not know. As I have said, if we cannot secure the southern border then we don't need to take a step on this. If Joe Biden is not going to implement the laws that are on the books, and see, that's the problem right now, he is not implementing the laws that are on the books that deal with parole, that deal with asylum. He is taking the state of Texas and Arizona to court because he does not want them putting up razor wire, putting up containers. And that is um, causing people that live and work on that border, ranchers and farmers and property owners that back up to that to lose the right to their private property. And and we're going to lose Dave McCormick in Pennsylvania and Carrie Lake in Arizona and everybody in between, Tim Sheehy in Montana. We can win the Senate, but not not if we put forward a terrible immigration bill. Uh, Do you have a meeting today? Is the conference meeting today? Uh, yes, we will have a conference lunch today, and uh, we have a conference meeting later this afternoon. And you just mentioned these great races that we have out of, out coming across the country, whether it's Tim or Carrie. We've got uh, good news coming out of New Mexico. Today I'm endorsing Bernie Marino, 
who is in that primary in Ohio. Bernie's going to win that primary. And I stay neutral because I'm going to do their debates. I know all three candidates, but people are entitled to do that. But we're going to win Ohio. We're going to beat Sherrod Brown. I think we're going to win West Virginia. I think we can win Nevada. I didn't know about New Mexico. But we can't win with a bad immigration bill. Would you pound the table a little bit today, Senator Blackburn, and say, (laughs) put this away? And uh, there is a, le- uh, a letter that several of us are doing, which uh, goes ahead and lays it out that Good we for you. are not voting for <laughs> any of this. Joe, until- just go shake those people. Wake up. Lindsay, wake <laughs> up. We've done this before. We've been in this movie before. We never win this movie. Uh, Marsha Blackburn, I'm glad you'll be in the conference today. Thank you for joining me. Uh, always a pleasure to talk with the senator from Tennessee. First woman to win statewide office in Tennessee as a senator and and really an extraordinary voice for the Republican Party. Love having her on. want to remind everyone, a great sponsor of the program is MyPhDWeightLoss.com. Generalissimo went on that program more than a year ago, lost 50 pounds. He's kept it off. And uh, stress eating is not allowed, I don't believe, even though we're under a lot of... Uh, sure uh, tempted uh, to this week, aren't we? Uh, everybody is, I, but, but we don't. They, I'm sure they give you tricks of the trade to combat that because that's one of the habits. You broke that habit. You're not going by Del Taco or Taco no. Bell. Have not. No. You haven't relapsed. Have not relapsed. And um, that is a, and it's healthy. It's wise. It's yes. productive. Eight six four six four four nineteen hundred. That's eight six four six four four nineteen hundred. Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Senator Deborah Fisher represents the great state of Nebraska. She's a Big Ten member, so we like that. Senator, welcome. Good to have you back on the Hugh Hewitt Show. Thank you. Nice to be here. Senator, last night I believe you called on Nikki Haley to drop out of the race. Am I correct about that? Uh, last night I endorsed President Trump. You know, I think he's done a, a great job. And it's time to bring the party together, get behind him, and uh, beat Joe Biden. That's our goal. We need to defeat Joe Biden so that we can change the policies that are putting this country in jeopardy. Do you think Joe Biden will be their nominee, Senator? He does look awfully bad to me. You know, I kind of have a theory on that. It's interesting you ask me. Um, I remember Chicago and and, uh, Miami back in 68 and having an open convention that we saw with the Democrats. I can see that happening again with them, Um, whether it's President Biden um, not going forward uh, at the convention and having that open convention. But I think uh, his party's realizing um, just what a a flawed presidency he's had, what a flawed candidate he is. And um, I think they're looking for replacements for him. Now, I I hope you're right, because uh, we can't risk having President Biden be there for four more years, no matter whether we nominate President Trump or Ambassador Haley. And I think you're right. President Trump is the front runner. Can I turn to the Wall Street Journal piece that you wrote on the Sentinel? Because I ask people about the triad all the time, and I'm usually trying to get them to say time to drop the missiles and concentrate on the submarines and the bombers. And here you come. And you're a big Sentinel person. Tell me about it. I am. I am a strong, strong supporter of our nuclear triad. Obviously, we need all three legs. We're facing two adversaries, China and Russia, 
who continue to build their nuclear programs, who do have a triad. And let's remember, Hugh, that our bombers aren't loaded at this point in time. So we really only have a dyad, a dyad that is prepared to take action if this country was facing an imminent attack. Uh, when we look at the Sentinel program, these uh, new missiles are really going to be able to uh, do a lot of a lot of things. I can't talk about some of them here, but uh, they're replacing the Minutemen three, and those have to be replaced. When we have uh, the silos and the heartland of the United States, it's going to make our adversaries think twice before they would uh, have any kind of attack on our heartland. Let's remember that as well. If you're, um, if you're willing to take that step as, as an enemy of this country and send missiles to our heartland to take out our, our Sentinel missiles, uh, that, is, that is unbelievable that it would happen and it would be devastating for any enemy to take action like that. We have to have a strong triad. We have to be able to have those three legs strong. And that's what I've been working on as a member of the Armed Services Committee to make sure we continue with that modernization of all three legs of our triad. Senator Fisher, in the days when mutual assured destruction theory was taught, people understood that our ground-based missiles were there to oblige an enemy to strike the homeland because they could not not strike the homeland and survive and if they struck the homeland, we were all in. Can you tell me where the Sentinel program is? Because I know the Minutemen 3 are, are older than I am. Uh, they're, they've been around a long time. Yeah, the Sentinel program, uh, it's, it's in process. In fact, we have some of those missile silos in western Nebraska. It's part of uh, F.E. Warren base that's in, that's in Wyoming. But we have uh, ICBMs in Nebraska. Uh, those will be replaced over time. We're looking at, we're looking at a, a long-term commitment here. It is one of the biggest, it, well, it is the biggest construction project that the Department of Defense has ever undertaken. And when we look at the cost of Sentinel too, I think it's I think it's important to uh, be able to have an understanding of why. Well, many reasons why that number is so big, but it takes into consideration the infrastructure that's re, that's required in a Sentinel program. For example, when we're looking at at the bombers and uh, upgrading uh, to our B twenty one bomber, uh, that program doesn't take into consideration any infrastructure, whether it's a base, uh, runways, anything like that. But a Sentinel program does. Does do do we have a date for when the first Sentinel will be deployed and actively available for the defense of the United States? Um, I'm going to be meeting on that. I have a phone call later today, as a matter of fact, with Northrop. Uh, We're going to be discussing uh, some of the issues that we're seeing with the Sentinel program. Obviously, there's some costs that we're monitoring closely uh, with construction costs increasing. That's going to be affecting the program. But uh, to make sure that we stay on a schedule and be able to get that program up in a timely manner, as well as our as our subs, our, our Columbia class. Oh, absolutely. But but do they know, even have a? Do, do they yeah, have this a? Is, this is vital. Uh, does Northrop have a best case scenario, a date that is their best case scenario? Because I'm afraid we are in the window 
for brinksmanship right now, and we haven't got what we need. You know, I um, there's there's dates that have been presented, but as I said, I've got a conversation coming up with Norfolk and with the department to be able to look at what are realistic dates. So I'd I'd rather not uh, give a date out there and jump the gun on this. Uh, there has been some publicly. Um, uh, expressed dates that are there, but we're at a point right now that that I think we need to um, have the most most up to date information to be able to look at that. I will say to you, Hugh, you know when we have classified briefings and we listen uh, to our to our commanders and our leaders within the Department of Defense, and they tell me, you know, a program uh, it'll be ready by 2028, it'll be ready by 2030. And I look at them each and every time, and I say, that's too late. Yep. That's too late. Uh, Senator, I want to switch topics to you. I know you have a conference meeting coming up today when all the Republican senators get together. I hate the immigration deal that's coming together because it does not have 900 miles of wall authorized, notwithstanding any other law, not appropriated money for it. And it's I've, I've been to this movie four times. It will not pass the House. It will be a failure. It will hurt the Republicans. What do you think about the immigration uh, negotiations that are underway? And what are you going to say at the conference today? Well, first of all, the entire conference, I think every single member thanks James Langford for the, the work that he has put in in trying to get this administration to, first of all, recognize the crisis that we have at the border. So he has done, he has done good work there. I'm waiting to see what the text is of this proposal. Uh, James has said it probably won't come out this week. You know, hopefully we're, we're going to see it next week. But I want to make sure that it, it does um, specific things. And that, first of all, is to make sure that we have a secure border. And for me, that means um, build the wall, um, employ technology where, where it would be appropriate along our border, uh, get Border Patrol down there um, to be able to look at patrol, uh, parole that... Um, that I think President Biden has um, abused, to put it bluntly. He's abused it. He's allowed over one million people to enter this country on parole. That's, I think it's 235 times more than Trump and Obama combined that he just allows these, these people to come into our country. So there's a, there's a number of things that uh, I'm looking at here and that I've talked to James about. You know, Senator, I think Senator Lankford is the equal of any senator in the Senate. Uh, one of the people I consider a friend. I love spending time with him. But I do believe a dynamic takes over sometimes in these negotiations where they've got to get to something. If there isn't a wall in there, it's not going to pass. And... It's not only going to not pass, it's going to hurt Sheehy in Montana. It's going to hurt our Ohio nominee. It's going to hurt McCormick in Pennsylvania. It's going to hurt our Nevada candidate, our New Mexico candidate. I don't think we can lose West Virginia if we try. But does the conference talk about stuff like that? If they do not put a wall in there that's going to actually get built, we're going to get crushed. Yeah, you know, I've, I think our conference has been um, very open with each other. We always have good discussions. Those discussions have become more robust, I would say. <laughs> um, 
you know, you you can imagine we have differing uh, opinions uh, on the on the entire supplemental, including uh, the border piece in there, uh, and members aren't aren't timid about uh, expressing their opinions on that. I I would hope that before um, any anything would go forward on the Republican side, um, we we would see strong support from the conference. Right. I don't want to see. Very few Republicans uh, step forward to support a supplemental, the border piece and and other parts of that. I think it has to be um, a strong number of Republicans. That I, I agree. That. And if they put the wall in, they'll get it. Uh, last question for you, Senator. Uh, I have been arguing that the former president should name a vice presidential running mate very soon because I'd rather have that person out there raising money, doing cable hits, and giving speeches and campaign rallies for eight months rather than three. What do you think about an early uh, naming of a running mate? I support you on that. I think it's, I think it's a great idea. I think it's important uh, for a candidate who I believe will be President Trump to, to name his person. It gives, I think, people a, a clear view of the path forward that the Republican Party is going to take in this election who our team's going to be. Uh, and as you said, to get that person out there to campaign hard with the president to raise money. Uh, there's about half of the U.S. Senate now. We've, we've supported President Trump and uh, we're ready to work hard to see him get elected, too. You know, we've we've been serving with uh, three years going on four now with Joe Biden. And uh, we have a complete and full understanding of the disaster his policies have been for this country. Amen to to that. Senator Fisher, it's always good to talk to you. I love talking to people who want to talk about the triad. You're one of the few people actually want to come on and talk about the triad. So thank you. Good luck with Northrop today. Tell them faster, faster. Thank you so much. I'll be right back, America. Don't go anywhere. I'm Hugh Hugh. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. America, bonjour, hi, Canada. I'm Hugh Hewitt. I'd like to play a little bit of OK for you folks in the background so you know what I'm talking about with John Androzik of Five for Fighting. If you're watching on the Sale News Channel, you're seeing part of a music video that John Androzik put together and released last week. It is a huge hit in Israel. It is a huge hit in the United States. And he joins me now. John, congratulations. I don't know that you expected it to get this much play or for the government of Israel to to salute you and, and play your song. Were you expecting that? Just wanted to start with giving you some Joe Flacco greetings from Los Angeles out here. And um, 
And yeah, it's uh, it's surreal. You know, uh, when you put out a song, you never know what's going to happen, and, and to see how it's been embraced, been embraced, and and to have a nation um, share your song um, over the weekend was really humbling. And it was also illuminating. You, I think it gave me a sense of what what our Jewish friends deal with every day. Uh, when Israel tweeted out my song, you know, the vitriol, the death threats, um, the craziness that came, you know, shocked me. And uh, maybe I shouldn't have been shocked, but it was it was illuminating and humbling at the same time. No, to stand with Israel is to put a target on your back for all the fanatics in the world. John, tell us about the making of OK and when it got started. Part of it was filmed at the scene of the rave massacre uh, on that horrible day, 10-7. How did you come to make it? Kind of came over time. You know, I, get, I think like Afghanistan, like 9-11 on 10-7, we just sat there and were in shock. And, and as we saw the extent of the atrocities and the hostages, you know, we were just shocked, sickened. Um, how could this happen in this day and age? And then a few days after, um, October 7th, the mayor of New York, Eric Adams, I thought gave a very powerful speech. You know, so many folks were kind of afraid to kind of condemn what happened and had this moral equivalency. He came out and said, you know, something's really wrong. You know, we're not all right. And um, and I I give him credit for that. Uh, We shouldn't in this day and age say that's a brave thing. Everybody who has a soul should be saying that. But he did. So that theme of we're not all right, something's definitely broken when you have people in your city, thousands of people, you know, having a big party celebrating after, you know, women are raped and grandmothers are kidnapped and babies are killed. And so I started thinking about a song and then I uh, I saw some of Barry Weiss's speech. I'm sure you saw it. I you, did. About it was the fabulous. last line of defense. And, yeah. And, and really what that that said was, oh. The anti-Semitism we're seeing is just the tip of the spear, and it goes way beyond that. It's really about civilization, and you have a group who wants to pull civilization down and, um, and a group who wants to survive civilization. And it really hit me about our broken cultures. You know, this song, you know, it's kind of being perceived as a pro-Israel song, and I understand that, and certain, certainly it is to a degree, but... The, the star of my song is a Palestinian woman under the lyric, every good woman, every good man is an, a Palestinian woman who called out Hamas for stealing the aid. The star of the song is one of the sons of Hamas who is calling out his country for indoctrinating little boys to be terrorists. So to me, it's really an anti evil song. And if we can't condemn these atrocities, you know, filming the beheading of babies to send to the victims families, if that's not evil, then nothing is. And if we use words like context or but, I think we've truly lost a piece of our soul. And that's kind of how it started and how we got here. We are also losing focus. The reason I'm glad you timed it for release now is that the American media cycle is so rapid that it's very hard to stay fixed on the atrocity of 10-7, which is as ghastly as 9-11, though the body count wasn't as high Proportionally, it was, but it was more ghastly in that 9-11 was somewhat uh, antiseptic. There are guys in airplanes who hit buildings. These were rapists and torturers and murderers and fanatics. 
And I just think we're having trouble processing this, John. And you came along at the right time with this. Did you get the film at the at the site of the rave or was that stock footage that you used? A lot of it we just pulled off the Internet. Um, I had to license a few pictures, some of the hostage families, you know, certain certain things you have to license, certain you pay. And I spent weeks um, going through thousands of clips, thousands of pictures because I wanted to get it right. I didn't want I don't, didn't want to have any agenda. This is not my opinion. This is just what happened. Every headline's a headline. And I wanted to hit all of the aspects of, I think, the shame of our institutions. I wanted to hit the House of Representatives where 16. Can you imagine after 9-11 if Parliament had 16 members that voted against America after 9-11 like our House did after October 7th? Can you imagine walking down 7th Avenue after 9-11 and seeing people ripping down posters of those who are missing. I wanted to make sure I hit the media. The the whole debacle of the uh, Israeli missile that hit the hospital that wasn't, that inflamed the world, which could have been easily disputed with five minutes reporting. You know, the media trying to find some moral equivalency between Hamas and the IDF. So many of our institutions have collapsed. So I wanted to get it right, and I wanted to – the very end thing I put in there – was the training of the, the, the Gaza children to be terrorists from five years old. Because if we can't stop that culture of death, nothing can. And finally, I was very cognizant of what's the last image and using Martin Luther King saying, hey, look, if you, if you don't stand up to evil, you're complicit in it. Um, and I think that is, is true. And I think many of us in the arts particularly – are not standing up, not not saying what needs to be said. And you see a lot of that like you saw in 1938. Now, John, I've known you a long time. You are not a partisan, per se. Uh, you did do a song after Abbey Gate. You did do a song for Ukraine. You've now done OK. These are not partisan songs. I don't think you're a partisan. You kind of react to meta events in a way that maybe musicians used to but don't anymore. I think every one of these songs is a moral song. If you abandon your allies uh, in Afghanistan, you plunge girls and women into the dark ages. Uh, after you promised to protect them, they've risked their lives on you. If you do that, it's an immoral act, and it's still an immoral act. If, if you're um, a Ukrainian and Putin invades your country and wants to basically decimate you and, and commit atrocities, um, and you can't defend that, um, I think that's an immoral act by not defending it. And same with this one. You know, Hugh, if, if, if there was a Republican president, uh, you know, blood on my hands would have made, remained the same, names would change. If, if there was another group who had committed these atrocities, um, be the same song, name will change. Same with, with Ukraine. And it's very interesting to see how the media embraces one and maybe shuns another. We sent this song to 400 music media outlets. Oh, We've had one, one, one respond. It just shows the cowardice of the artists, our, um, our music executives, and Holly. Michael Rappaport called it out. When you watch the Golden Globes and you have these folks who love to lecture us about, um, as our moral betters, about the world and things that are going wrong and how terrible we are, 
the Golden Globes that had many Jews, frankly, receiving awards, did not mention the hostages once. And I think that's all you need to know about Hollywood spine and moral center. I didn't know that. Uh, I don't watch the Golden Globes. I, I guess I am kind of surprised by that. John, I want to make sure people can go and find, okay, where is the best place to watch it? Well, certainly you can find it on YouTube, okay, Fight for Fighting, but it's really gone viral on, on Twitter. Um, we have over a million views. Uh, the Israel account, you know, has, has blown it up. My account, Aviva Klompas, who's been all over this. So I don't care. We actually just put it on TikTok yesterday, Hugh, and I was, I was kind of debating that because, as we know, TikTok is one reason why half of 40, uh, 18 to 24-year-olds in this country – uh, feel like ending Israel. And that is the most important point of this song. We're losing a generation. We are losing our kids. 20% don't believe the Holocaust happened. 60% believe Israel is the oppressor. We have to stop that now. We have to fight that now because it's going to take decades to come back. So I, I think that may be anywhere. the one time I'm in favor of putting something on TikTok. Go on to Twitter, yeah. retweet, and put it out there. John Androzic, good to see you, my friend. Congratulations. Always proud to be your friend when you do something like this. Don't go anywhere, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.